missed opportunities. Have you ever had an opportunity presented to you in some way or another and all you had to do was take a risk? Take a chance and try. Do something maybe outside of your comfort zone, have a conversation you don't want to have, take an action, whatever it is, and you didn't do it. And so it put you in the position of having a missed opportunity. I was thinking about that and three particular examples come to my mind in my life. Are there any in yours? And was it supposed to be that way? Would our lives have been better, worse, the same? We'll never know. Let's talk about that missed opportunities. Let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk, stories and observations beyond small talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins, and missed opportunities. That is the topic today. It's funny because this morning I woke up and I was watching the news and they had an interview. I guess not that funny, but this is what jogged my thought process about today's episode. And uh, <clears throat> Brooke Baldwin, who is now a former CNN uh, anchor, and she'd been on there for, I guess she had at least worked in the news business for 21 years, she said, and they were interviewing her about her book, which is called Huddle, and it's all about uh, creating uh, or awakening the power within the community within community of women or something like that and how she had this sort of transformational experience and she decided you know what i'm going to quit my job at cnn this comfortable place where she's making you know bundles and bundles of money and is well respected and take a chance and try something new. And she wasn't really clear about all of the specifics, but she kind of was like, yeah, I have these projects. I wrote this book and it's scary and it's new and I left comfort, but I'm so excited. And uh, it got me thinking about the times that I have and have not left comfort in my life and taking chances or risks. And there are so many because overall, I am a risk taker. I mean, going back to elementary school, I always wanted to discuss with my teachers what was wrong with their teaching style. I wrote it in a book once and totally got in trouble because I wrote all of my critiques inside my book cover and then turned in my book. And it was like, this person is always eating during class. This was my teacher. That one is like, doesn't pay attention to us. She just tells us to do things that she herself could do. Like it was bad because there was a few bad words in there and I got in trouble. <laughs> but I, I've always had this sort of risk-taking sensibility in me, but that doesn't mean, and it certainly did not mean, 
that I was always secure about the risks that I took or didn't take. And I think that in life, we should always take some risks and they have to be well defined. You know, some people are like, I'll do anything once. And then they're like, let me smoke pot one day and let me smoke crack. Let me try heroin. Let me try ecstasy. Let me just try things. Okay. That's not what I'm talk about, talking about. And, uh, you know, some people happily smoke pot. So that isn't the same as crack, but I'm just saying there are people who will try all kinds of things and be burned because of, you know, risks that the rewards may be great, but the dangers are greater. So I'm talking about the kinds of risks that get you a job or an experience or a relationship. And it's those things that can change the trajectory of our lives forever. Are we those people? And if we don't do them, what does that say about us? You know, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. And it's funny because I share with my husband the a lot of the stuff that I talk about on here about him, but not all of it. And he, he doesn't listen, believe it or not. And I kind of like it that way because it feels a little weird for some reason. And I've talked about this with fellow creative type people. It's easier to talk to strangers or people you kind of know than it is to do it for close friends and family members. Like, I don't know, my girlfriends, when they've listened to my podcast, that's okay. But somehow my husband, who is like my arm, my soul, my heart, it's like a critical version of me listening because I care so much about what he thinks that I'm like, okay, what do you think? You know, and he's always very kind and supportive, but it's just awkward to have him listen. So I'm kind of glad that he doesn't. He'll He's listened to a couple things here and there, but I'm like, yeah, this is good that you don't. And again, I apologize. It was dusty yesterday. It is allergies again. So forgive the sniffles. I try not to do that. It's annoying. I know. Anyway, maybe it's less annoying than I think it is, but I know it's annoying. <clears throat> so Anyway, so I was discussing with him like some of the stuff I talk about about him. And so we just kind of laugh about it. But he is not a risk taker. And that's why I always have to say everyone's different. Everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. It is easy to look at him for me as someone who is a risk taker and go, well, you should be that. But he has these strengths that I don't have. Like he's an even keel, steady, doesn't give up um, reliable guy. Me, if things go wrong, I'm quick to quit, quick to, um, be disappointed, have unrealistic expectations, all those kinds of things where he's just like slow and steady wins the race. Like he just keeps going. You know, if he's had bosses in his life who were terrible to him, he's like, you know what? I'll figure it out. I'll find a way to survive. I've had bosses where I was like, that's it. I'm quitting this job and bitched and moaned the entire time. And that's just not him. So there's that. But he's not a risk taker and he's lived a good life. 
So it's not that if you don't take a lot of risks, you don't live a good life. It's just different. And, you know, I think if you're in the military, like he was, there's a there's an element of risk. He was not someone on the front lines. He worked in Intel, but there was always a risk, especially if, you know, when he was in Afghanistan and, you know, risking his life there. Again, not on the front lines, but in theater, as they say, for war. And so listening to Brooke Baldwin talk about how she took this risk of quitting this comfortable job and now she's just doing a bunch of different things outside of her comfort zone, I started to think about all of the things. And believe it or not, there are many, many chances that I took that paid off. But what about the ones that I either didn't really take, the risks I didn't take, and or the ones that I half-heartedly took because I was insecure about it or scared or worried, you know, or overthinking it. I know I'm a great overthinker and I have uh, a really good friend of mine. She and I talk about that all the time. It's like, oh, we overthink things. It's like second nature. And I've gotten better at it in my old age, but I definitely still do it. And I thought of three specific examples right off the bat that I wish I had taken those risks. And then I thought of three that I did and they paid off. So I wanted to share those with you and ask that question. Are you a risk taker? Do you take chances? If so, what kind of chances have they worked out in your favor? Did you fall flat on your face? I'm trying to think of risks that I took that backfired. And, hmm, I mean, overall, I don't think so. I think all risks either paid off or were neutral, but there was a lesson to be learned. I know my earliest risks would have been when I was in high school and I had crushes on these different boys and I was like, I'm going to tell them because maybe they like me back, which <laughs> usually they did not. And I, even as I said in my last episode, if a guy likes you, he will make it known. And if he can't do that, then maybe you guys don't need to be together because you need to be able to communicate feelings, right? I mean, high school is a little bit different. Everybody's confused and hormonal and figure, figuring things out and there's peer pressure. But I remember I once wrote a boy a four-page legal letter, legal type, that legal long pad, you know, four pages. What the hell was I thinking? Luckily, usually the guys that I had crushes on, for the most part, were relatively decent guys. And I mean, don't get me wrong, there were the jerks that like laughed in my face. And I've told those stories. I've had a few from my teenagedom. But the like big crushes where I actually knew the guy and cared about him, not just like, oh, he's cute, maybe. They were actually pretty decent guys. And I remember I gave him that letter and then I think I called him or I said for him to call me. Oh God, oh, I'm getting chills just remembering it because it was so like nerve wracking to see. It was almost like check yes if you like me, check no if you don't. But I didn't do that. I was just like, if you could just call me. <clears throat> 
after school or something like that. It's hard to remember. And I remember we spoke on the phone. So I don't know if I called him or he called me. And he was so sweet. And it was basically like, you're awesome, but no. But we kind of talked for a little while. And I was just like, you know what? He didn't even have to call. He could have laughed in my face. He could have, I don't even know what. But I took a chance. And yes, it broke my heart. But we remained kind of friends after that. And I appreciated that. You know, it, they didn't, it didn't work out that we fell in love like in the movies where, you know, you take a chance and then it was like, oh, unrequited love and then he loves you. But a lot of things like that where I <clears throat> told these different guys that I had crushes, that was a, a risk taken. But most of my adult life, any real risks were usually career oriented. And I think as we get older, they are. I mean, I took a risk. I went bungee jumping. That That is a calculated risk. I knew, okay, I'm signing up with a reputable company. I'm He's inspecting the equipment and showing us how it works and give it, giving us instruction and all of that. And, I, you know, so then I jumped off a hundred foot bridge over a stream which I would not do again. I'm glad I did it, but <laughs> it was not fun or exhilarating. People were like, oh my God, that's the most amazing thing I've ever done. I feel free. I was like, that sucked. I'm so glad I did it, but it was not fun. But um, those kinds of risks are different. So what have I done? Or I should say, what didn't I do that looking back over my life, do I wish I had done? Do you guys have things like that? My husband is somebody that doesn't live in regrets. He, I go, well, do you ever wish that this? Or do you ever wish that that, or, you know, your career or back then, or maybe he's like, no, I don't, I don't look at my life like that. Like I labor over decisions before I make them. And once I make them, I'm like, this is how it's supposed to be. And I'm like, wow. Because I think about things and then I'm like, okay, that's what I'm doing. And then I look back and I go, huh, maybe I shouldn't have done that or I should have done this. So it's funny how opposite he and I are because once he makes that decision, boom, he is all in. But it takes forever to make the decision. Like he labors and thinks and labors and thinks. And I'm like, really? over the purchase of a new such and such. Like I do my research, I think about it and then I buy it. That's it. You know, and I don't, I'm, I'm not somebody who wastes money or buys a lot of expensive things, but if I'm going to, I think about it and then I move on. But him, he's got to think for a long time. So there are three things that come to mind when I think about, oh man, over my lifetime, I really wish I had done the opposite of what I had actually done. These three things instantly came to my mind. I didn't have to go, hmm, let me think over my lifetime, what would I say that I should have done differently? Hmm, nope, they popped into my brain. One, I was, oh, the male person is here delivering something. I think you guys might hear the doorbell in the background. Um, and I say male person because she's a male woman, so I can't even say male man. One thing 
happened in my early 20s. I was like 24, that first regret. And then another thing happened when I was like 27, 28. And then the last thing happened, how old was I? Probably, I think I was like 37-ish, 38, somewhere in there. So definitely three distinct things. Two of them were career driven. One of them was like a relationship thing. And I literally look back and I'm like, damn, like, what if? Dang it, you know? <laughs> so I want to share those with you and we'll see what you think. And even as I sort of talk it through with you guys, because I don't ever like rehearse my podcasts, I just think of the idea and I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that. And a lot of times as I sort of talk it through, I'll have different perspectives. So we'll see from this moment to as I talk about it, does it change? Hmm. I can't wait to share them with you. Coming up right after the break. Stay with me. Welcome back. Okay. So since we're talking missed opportunities, I have one for you that I think you may have missed. The opportunity to subscribe to my podcast. <laughs> How clever, right? <clears throat> if you haven't yet, you've missed that opportunity, go ahead and take it right now click subscribe. Please, 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 pretty please with sugar on top. Go ahead and click that button. Take a moment. I'll even pause just a second. So you can go ahead and do that. Pause, pause, pause. Just go ahead. Yep. You got it. Yep. Yes. Click that button if you haven't already. If you have, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It helps me grow this show. Um, and another opportunity that you may have missed is the opportunity to share this show with your friends and or family. That would be fantastic. Just share one episode, maybe even two. If this is your first time listening, thank you so much. If you've continued to listen, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But there is an opportunity out there for you to share with your friends and let them know about big time small talk, that you can listen at work, you can listen when you're at the gym, now that more gyms are opened up, you can listen at home when you're taking a bath or as you get ready in the morning, all kinds of times when you're going walking in the neighborhood, if you have kids, you know, and you're just like taking a moment to have some me time, if you're studying for school, if you're on your way to class, while you're driving, while you're taking the bus, us. While you're taking the train, I think I pretty much covered almost every opportunity. Oh, traveling. If you're on a plane, right? You're sitting in the airport, bored, stiff, listen to big time small talk. So go ahead and share the show so that everyone across the world has a chance to listen. It's so exciting to me, especially if you have friends and family in different countries. 
you know, I've shared it with you every time we get a new uh, country where the show is being listened to is incredibly like I feel exuberant. It's exciting to see a brand new country. So we're still lacking countries in South America. Wait, Colombia is South America. We have that. But many, like I'd love to have Argentina or Venezuela. We don't have any African countries. Hello, my Africans. I have some Africans that follow me on Instagram. But how about a little, you know, Johannesburg or Ghana, Gambia, uh, Namibia, Gambia, like Egypt, Hey, Africa, shout out in the podcast world. Lots of places in Europe, but uh, and even Asia. But how about some new Asian countries? Or, you know, I don't know, some of the countries I can't wait to go to, Greece, Ireland. Anyway, so sorry, we already have Ireland. I think. Yes, I do. Missed opportunities. Go ahead, subscribe, share the show, and leave a review. You've had the chance. You've heard me complaining, cajoling, poking, laughing, you know, asking and questioning every adjective you can think of. Please leave a written review for the show. You can go ahead and do that on Apple Podcast. I think you can do that other places, but it takes two seconds of your time. And then click those five stars. It really, really, really helps. And if you want something from me, we can do a little quid pro quo. Go ahead and do that. Write me. Let me know. I'm happy to do videos and shout outs for people. I know people ask for that. Um, on, I'm on different apps where you can do that. So I'm not just asking and giving you this wonderful entertainment. I'm also willing to give in order to get you guys to write a review. So, you know, hey. I'm, it's, I'm willing to help out. Um, if you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can do a monthly membership. You can choose your rate. You just go to anchor.fm or download the Anchor app and you can do that and support the show. And I always say, no matter what, I'm going to do it for free, but maybe I've been doing it wrong. I should say, I'm not doing this show anymore, but that's not true. I'm going to keep doing it because I love it. But if you do want to support the show financially, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, yeah. Instagram, follow me there at Jody Rollins. If you want to write the show, questions, comments, concerns, what you like, what you don't like, what I need, what I don't need, whatever, you can write me at bigtimesmalltalkpodcast at gmail.com. Bigtimesmalltalkpodcast at gmail.com. So I think I've covered all of the business. Go ahead and do those things. That would be awesome. I would greatly appreciate it. I know we're all busy, but if everybody did it, wow, I would I would be un, I, through the roof with happiness and joy. So I'd appreciate it. Okay, now let's move on, shall we? Missed opportunities. So there's three in particular, and there's a lot of chances I'm sure that I haven't taken over my life if I really sat back and thought, okay, what are they? I could come with quite a few. But overall, just who I am as a person, I can't help myself. If there's a chance, I'm going to take it. And not always, but more likely than not. And these three particular things that stood out to me still sort of, what's that saying? Like there's a like it, I can't think of how that saying goes, like a, a crawl in your side or something like that. But it's always that something that like 
pokes at me. Not always, but when I think about these things. So what are they? Okay, enough dragging this out. But the first one, I haven't really um, thought about in a long time because it was when I was in my early, early 20s. So I was like 23, 24. I was probably 24. And I had, this is back, as I've mentioned before, I used to um, pursue acting and singing. So I was an aspiring actress. I did all kinds of things, regional theater, television, film, under fives, all that stuff. Under fives are five lines or less on television. So usually like the nurse or the neighbor or the nondescript person all that kinds of stuff. And I would audition and I was living in New York. And so my whole life was about acting. And I got this opportunity to be an intern at a film production company. And a lot of actors did that back in the day because that way you were sort of in where you wanted to be and maybe they could hire you or you could meet producers or directors or fellow actors. So it was another way to sort of immerse yourself in show business. And so I was really excited because this particular independent film company had just produced this, sh this movie. Oh God, what was it called? I can't remember, but it was, a, it was a relatively big film back then. And, um, it was called the shooting gallery, the name of the production company. And I still think they, they, I think they still exist. So they produced this kind of indie, like, mob movie. I think it was, oh, Carlito's Way. You can Google it if you want. <clears throat> but it was called Carlito's, Carlito's Way. And it was a pretty big deal. And so that was their, I think, one of their biggest projects back then. I don't know about to date. And so I knew that this was an up-and-coming film company. Like, you know, they're in New York. And I got a chance through a friend of a friend to work as an intern, which is basically do a bunch of stuff for free, which the work itself sucked. I mean, uh, it was either answering phones, which was okay, which was boring, but then you would like dump their trash, go pick up their lunches, clean their warehouse. I remember their warehouse was this giant, like huge, it was on maybe like the 10th floor of this old building. And it was from the front of this one block all the way to the back. So it was this giant open warehouse space and it was dark and dusty and musty and it was filled with props and junk and they had me of all people try to organize. I mean this, I'm not even exaggerating. It was huge. It had to have been if I can try to remember, gosh, maybe five thousand six thousand square feet maybe even now that i think about maybe six to ten thousand square feet it was huge and they're like yeah if you could just organize this and as you guys hear i talk about allergies so dust i was like sneezing and blowing my nose and going through I, it was ugh, it was garbage i don't know how anyone ends up with a dark warehouse i'm like where's the light like the only light coming in was from the outside windows no electricity, I guess. It was hot, musty, whatever. So they had me like cleaning that out. It was horrible. And like I said, dumping trash and like 
you know, I would drive a vehicle to go pick up stuff. And driving in New York was nerve wracking, especially if it's not your car, you're driving a van. I'm not used to driving a van. I'm like, I'm going to get in an accident. And they're going to be like, well, who's this idiot who can't drive? Anyway, you get the idea. So the reason I was doing that was hoping in hopes that I would get opportunities for acting. And so I'm at this working at this production company. And some of the days when I would answer the phone, uh, answer the phones, these huge casting directors would call. I mean, they're still big, huge. There was one and it was this, this, um, these two women, it was Sheila Jaffe and George Ann Walken. You can Google them. They've done numerous movies over the decades. I think they still do it. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think they do. And this is in the nineties. And, um, so actually, uh, George Ann Walken is Christopher Walken's wife. So she's like in it, right? Married to a huge celebrity actor and they produce, I'm sorry, they cast for film and television. And so, I mean, they would call and all these different directors would call and I'd be like, oh my God, I just got to talk to so-and-so, you know, put them on hold, connect them to whoever. And one day I had to bring a bunch of headshots, you know, the actor's headshots, the head and shoulders and resumes over to the, the Jaffe walk-in offices. And I thought, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, can I give you my headshot and resume? I'm right here. You know, I, I would love to work for you, whatever, you know, whatever. And I was so nervous because they were like, it was like talking to God, you know, because they could easily cast you in something that could change your life. I mean, she worked with all of the big wigs, both of those women did. And so I, I brought over the files and such, and I just said nothing. I was like, here you go or whatever. And they're like, oh, come on in. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in here in the offices. And they're like, yeah, put that over there. Thanks a lot. Take care. And I said nothing. And I remember just being so angry with myself and like, you know, talking to myself, like, why didn't you do something? Why don't you say something? And then a few weeks later, I think she had called and I somehow worked myself into this conversation with her. And she was like, oh, well, when you were there, you should have just given me your headshot. And I was just like, uh, because you don't know. That's the thing with taking risks is I didn't know if she would be like, what? Take your headshot? I'm not here for that. You're just supposed to be delivering these things. I'm going to call your boss and get you fired. Like you just don't know. Or if she was going to be like, great, another actor's headshot. Let me throw it in the trash. But that was her job. Like even if she was like not really seeking anybody else new, Jody today knows that if I'd given her my headshot, she probably would have been like, even like she said, Okay, great. Thank you. And maybe if there had been a role for me, she would have called me in because that was how it was done back then. Just getting your headshot and resume on somebody's desk was huge, especially if it was somebody like these giant casting directors. And whatever that conversation was, she, when she had said to me, well, you should have, I think I sent it to her, but being in person with somebody, having them understand what you sound like, what you look like, that could have been an audition. And I always wondered, like, 
would that have made the difference? Would I have gotten something? Would I have been an Oscar, you know, nominated actress? Who knows? Now, years later, of course, I was just like, eh. I retired from acting and people always laugh at me when I say I retired, but I'm like, I did it for years. I started per pursuing acting when I was like 18, 19, and then did it all the way till I was like 34. That's a long time. If you do any career for that long, that length of time, what is that? 14, 15, 16, like 17, 18 years, somewhere in there. That's a long time. And though I was never famous, I worked, I got paid, I did things for free, I did things for pay, I at times worked just as an actress, didn't have to only wait tables, most of the time I did wait tables. So yeah, I retired from it because I was like, this is a bunch of rejection. And everything about acting was rejection. I mean, unless you got the role, right? But it was a lot of like, you're too tall, too short, too fat, too, too thin, too light, too dark, act too white, act too black, act too this, aren't good enough, are too good, are, you know, whatever. So it was just a lot of rejection and I got tired of it. And it just, I don't know, it wasn't, I wasn't passionate about it. So I stopped and that I don't regret, but I do regret not really putting myself out there in many ways. A, a lot of ways I really didn't with acting because it was just, it felt like trying to win the lottery. And if you go into anything and have that attitude of like, oh, I'll never make this, you never will. I mean, maybe by chance, but it's all about your attitude, right? And how you think about things. And I really, during those times, thought, oh, there's no chance. I probably won't make it. You know, they have a billion actresses that look like Jody. I'm just a dime a dozen because that's what you're told when you do acting, it's like, oh, you're an actress too? Where do you wait tables? That was the running joke, right? Because everybody in New York and LA was an actor. I mean, not everybody, but a lot of us. So it wasn't original, it wasn't new, and it was just a lot of pressure and to, to look a certain way and be a certain way and ugh. So I didn't take the chance and I'll never know, you know, that's, what have you in your life that you look back on and you go, wow, I didn't take that chance. And I don't think it's good to live in regret because there's, I feel like there's no wrong answers. Like obviously if you, you know, say I'm going to drive 95 miles an hour with my eyes shut with no seatbelt on, that's a risk and you'll probably die or kill somebody else or both of you. But essentially in life, I don't think there are wrong answers. You just weave and work your way through. And some things end up not working out how you like, but maybe the next thing because of those lessons works out well. What in your life do you look back on and wish you had done it differently or at least taken that risk? But at the same time, you go, well, that's what I chose to do. And when I learned different skills and, and had the capability of taking that risk or those chances and putting myself out there more so like I do now, I did. Like when, what Oprah always says, when we, when we know better, we do better. So I don't live in like regret and remorse, like, oh my God, my life, I wish. But I, I think about it like, hmm. Maybe that could have opened a door that opened another door that opened another door to a door to a door to a door that got me my Oscar <laughs> or it got me amazing roles where I could have been a known celebrity. I was never interested in being famous. I just wanted to work. So who knows? 
The second one happened when I was in my probably, how old was I? I want to say uh, 27. Yeah, definitely. I was 27. So a little bit older. I moved to LA and I was living in Los Angeles and hostessing, got my first job hostessing. And of course, pursuing acting just like I was in New York. And it was more television and film and less theater. I always loved television and film more than I actually liked theater. The smaller aspects of it. Theater is big and bold and out there and less real in its own way. And then television and film was like the small moments and, you know, the way you blink an eye or move your cheek or something that the camera picks up. It was more intimate. That That's what I liked about it. And commercials were always really fun and well-paying and things like that. I didn't get commercials, but I always auditioned for them. And, um, <clears throat> so when I was 27, probably 28, actually, I worked in this restaurant called the Daily Grill. And it was kind of like an upscale diner. It had really good fries. Oh, so good. And this really good gazpacho. That was the first time I ever tasted gazpacho, which is cold soup. I'm like, what? But theirs was amazing. Lots of cilantro, tomatoes, onions. It was a red, oh, so good. My mouth is watering thinking about it. Anyway, so great sandwiches and steaks and burgers and stuff. And this, a lot of writers used to come in because it was in the heart of West Hollywood, right on the, I should say, on the edge near Beverly Hills. So it was very central to everything show business and acting. There were a lot, like Sony Pictures was probably maybe 15 minutes from there. Paramount was 15 from there. CBS was like five minutes from there. Like everything was there. And so a lot of writers would come in. I remember, oh God, what was that one guy? There was that show, that movie called Traffic. He's done a lot of things. He had such a weird name. I can't remember what it is, but um, he used to come in like big, time writers, producers, directors, and actors would come and eat there. Jodie Foster came in there. Um, Tom Hanks and his wife and kids came in there. Like everybody. Well, this one up and coming then director, producer, writer would come in and he was just this little-ish Jewish guy, dark hair, glasses, kind of nerdy. And he would come in and he, he and I would chat a little bit and he was like, yeah, I'm actually writing a show about like a young woman in college and like all of the stuff that she's going through and after she graduates. And I was like, oh, my God, that would be perfect for me, because even though I was 27, most people would think I, I was anywhere from 18 to about 23 years old. I've always looked younger than my age. And when you're an actress, they don't care how old you actually are. It was how old can you play? So you're, it was, what is your range? They would ask you, oh, I, I pay, play like 18 to 25 or 18 to 23. And so when he said college age, I was like, ooh, tell me more. And he would just, you know, stay late when all the restaurant was kind of clearing out from the lunch rush. And he would have his little laptop and he'd be typing away, typing away. He knew my name. He would come in. Hi, Jody. You know, really nice guy. And I was like, I should just tell him. I'm an actress and can I at least give him a headshot? But I always felt like since everyone in LA is an actress that I would be bothering them. 
And I needed this job as a hostess. So I don't want him to be like, wow, I come here to write and not be accosted by actors and I could get fired, which again, in hindsight and retrospect, it's like, I could have gotten another hostessing job, at least take a risk and maybe I'll get this, you know, television film job. But I didn't do it. I never told him I was an actor, I think, or if I did, I didn't get into details. I didn't say, can I give you a headshot? Can I audition? You know, anything. I, I, you know, looking back, I don't even think I said I was an actress. I was just hoping he would ask, which he didn't. He probably assumed because everybody's a hostess in, in LA as an actress, right? But I didn't do anything. And we would chit chat and I just was like, you know, I don't know how successful this guy is. Maybe he's, his show is never going to go anywhere. You know, when you picture like directors and writers and producers, at least when I did <clears throat> in my twenties, you figure they're like these older people that are like powerful and just like, you're going to get a sense of it. And they travel with an entourage and, you know, and he was just this nerdy little guy. And so I never said anything. And finally, when his show debuted, I was like, that's you. You know, I didn't say that to him. For those of you who are too young to remember, he did this uber successful show called Felicity. You can Google it. It starred Carrie Russell. It was huge. I mean, Jennifer Garner got her start there. Um, I can't remember the other guy. Uh, what was his name? I actually worked with his brother. But um, it was a giant show, like a huge, huge uh, success. I almost said bomb for some reason. Blockbuster was what I was looking for on television. And I thought I could easily be a college student on that show, you know? And they even at one point had one of her good friends was this black girl. I'm like, that should have been my role. And then I was even more intimidated because he would still come in and then he came, he got married and he'd come in with his wife and he's like, this is my wife. And then she was pregnant. So I'm watching this guy like go through his life and like get more and more successful. And I say nothing because I was afraid because I didn't want to take the chance of getting fired or offending him or being uncomfortable or being in an awkward position or have him saying no or laugh in my face. So I didn't take that risk. This guy's name is J.J. Abrams. Do you know what J.J. Abrams went on to do? This guy is huge. He is the creator of that show Alias, the show Lost, Fringe. He won two Emmys. Um, what else? He directed Mission Impossible 3, Star Trek 2009, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, which I don't care about these kinds of movies, but 2013, I'm reading his Wikipedia. I mean, Armageddon, all kinds of huge huge, successful movies. I'm trying to think. Uh, what else? Super 8, Joyride, Armageddon, Gone Fishing, Forever Young, Regarding Henry, Taking Care of Business, um, Production, Cloverfield, Star Trek Beyond, Mission Impossible, I said that, Overlord. Um, he's acted 
it's just six degrees of separation, Diabolique, these were in the 90s for you young people, The Simpsons, he did a voiceover, just um, tons of tons of stuff. Um, he directed episodes of The Office. Like, this guy is the shit. Like, legit, right? Like, the real deal. Justice League, Dark, he was executive producer. Like, all kinds of stuff. And I wondered, what if I had just said, can I come in and read for you? Can I give you my headshot? Would my life have been different? Would the risks taken been rewarded? And I will never know. And I think that's the thing. You cannot live in a place of regret because you'll just, your life will be ruined. Because I have a wonderful life now. I am loved, I love, I have great friendships, I have wonderful stepchildren, my husband, like, I, I live a good life. Does it have problems? Do I have desires? Do I have wishes? Do I wish this show was an, you know, I almost said an international success. Well, in my mind, it is an international success because it's being heard internationally. But you know what I mean, you know, where I would have clout to have big celebrities come on here and have all of these opportunities afforded to me because this show is so known that I could do like a national tour and take the show across the country and get, you know, public speakers and all, whatever. Sure, I wish that. Many things. My life has not been easy. But I don't live in a place of remorse in the regret where you just feel like, what if, and you spend all your time looking back in that rear view mirror. That's not good. But I wonder, and I think that's okay. And I think moments like that helped me realize that I needed to take more risks. It was funny because years later, that was again, 97, 98, 99-ish, Actually, that was 97, 98 for sure. And I um, then in 2006, like, 7, I ended up working in a different restaurant in Burbank, totally different kind of restaurant, expensive steak restaurant. It was, you know, maybe a half an hour away, different place. And he came in and I was like, hi. I'm like, do you remember me? He's like, yeah. I mean, maybe he was lying, but I think he said my name. I don't know. He was like, yeah, from Daily Grill. And I, I was like, I, you know, looked back at the opportunities that maybe I could have taken. And by then he was huge, you know, because again, when I met him, he was just this quiet, nerdy guy. So you never know. You never know what opportunities could have changed your life. I think it's important to take these risks. We should, right? I think so. I'm going to share with you um, one more risk that I didn't take coming up right after the break. Stay with me. And we're back again. So this one isn't really a risk that I didn't take. It was an opportunity for a risk that I kind of messed up. 
So this one was more, I think I was 36, 37, somewhere in there, 38 even. And I was still single and I was working at a different restaurant. I worked in a lot of steakhouses. Anybody out there, if you're interested in waiting tables or you don't know what to do where you want a job that you don't have to take it home with you and you can be with your family, have flexible hours and work, you know, five and six hour shifts and you don't mind working on weekends, get into waiting tables. It's a hard job. I didn't like it, but I made great friends. It was awesome money and you only work five and six hours a day usually, you know, and you, if if you work in fine dining, you make anywhere from, I'd say on average, mm, back then, 150 to 250 a day in five hours. So that's nice. And then there were shifts that you made 300 or 400. And of course, there were shifts when you made 125. But on average, usually in the 200s a day, which was you know, nothing to shake a stick at. And if you live in California, you still got, that wasn't including your minimum wage. That was, I want to say two words at the same time, strictly tips. That was it. And then you got a check on top of that for your hourly minimum wage, which was awesome. So it's a good living and you can always transfer and everybody goes out to eat almost everywhere. So there's always a job for you if you move. So there's my thing. That's why. And then if you work in steakhouses, you make a lot of money because people drink a lot of wine and booze, which is great ways to make money. And steaks are expensive and you have to pay for side dishes. So it was a great way to make money. Anyway, so I was working at this one steakhouse in Pasadena and it was funny. Reggie, what was his name? Reggie Smith? Reggie I can't remember. I think Kim Kardashian's ex-boyfriend, Reggie Williams. I don't know. Reggie, whoever he was, he went to USC and he played football for something. I just didn't pay any attention to him. But he and like 15 of his friends came in for a steak dinner. And there was this one really cute guy with him. And he was kind of, you know, kind of giving me the attention, sort of flirty, flirt, flirt. And I was like, he is cute. And he was very respectful because a lot of times, this is the downside of waiting tables, a lot of times people treat you like you're a nothing. They're condescending. They talk down to you. They always treat you like, well, any idiot can wait tables. And let me just say, not any idiot can wait tables because you have to put up with people's bad moods, their lack of tips, their whims, they lie. I said medium rare. No, ma'am, you said medium well. Like you almost wish you could record people and play it back for them. They're, they're nitpicking. Like people were horrible. Any kind of customer service, you know, but waitressing, people feel like, oh, this person is here to, you know, take my hard day out on to miss snap their fingers at you, you know, order you around, ask you to clean up their kids' garbage on the floor. Like, it was bad. But a lot of times when guys would flirt with you, it was almost like you they felt like they owned you, which being a black person and waiting on mostly white people, there was an additional discomfort because it's like, I'm not your slave. So, and that's something that honestly, I don't ever hear anybody ever talk about when it comes to waiting tables especially when you're waiting on old white people. And there was a lot of old white people that, you know, eat in steakhouses. And, you know, they're like, oh, so do you have a lot of kids? Like there was a lot of assumptions that I'm like living on welfare and waiting tables. And just that's, again, a whole nother conversation. So when these guys would flirt with you, it was almost like it was like a 
they would see what they could get away with. I mean, they would ask you personal questions. They would be rude, laugh at you if it was a bunch of guys that are drunk, you know, say sexual things which are borderline uh, offensive or definitely offensive. And, you know, you had to put up with it because they're paying your tip. So when you got a guy who was respectful and, you know, seemingly polite and definitely cute, he stood out. And so this guy was flirting. And um, before they left, he was like, I just want to give you my phone number. And if you want to call, please do or whatever he said, something very polite. It wasn't like, hey, baby, can I get your number? It was like respectful and decent. And he had told me he owned his own business. I remember he said he owned a barber shop. His hair looked great. And um, he was really cute. And so I took his number with every intention of calling him. I even remember that when they left, he walked outside with his, you know, his friends and, and he was leaving. And as I was standing by the window, he knocked on the window and he made the like, call me sign, you know, where you hold up your thumb to your ear and your pinky to your mouth, like call me. And I was like, smile. And he kind of smiled. I was like, Oh my gosh, he's so cute. I'm definitely going to call him. So I have, they call them the, your server book. That's where the, you know, you see the waitress like write down all the back then. I mean, so many you know, restaurants now have like iPads and computers, but way back, it was a little check presenter that had your, your waitress pad and any, you know, notes about, we would get notes like it's this person's 20th birthday and um, a list of the specials and maybe a list of beers and you would, you know, keep your cash in there and all these little notes and things. And we had business cards with this particular restaurant where we'd have to give out and all this stuff. Right. And so I stuck it in there with a bunch of junk and different receipts that we have to save every single night, the different receipts that people sign for their credit cards. And then there's a bunch of like all the other orders from the whole night and you just keep them throughout the night and then you throw them out. So I had my little book and I'm doing the rest of my shift. And then I went and I cleaned out my book of all the trash and I threw away his number and I didn't realize it. So I went on about the rest of my evening and then I was like, oh, where's that guy's number? And I'm like looking in my pocket, in my check presenter. And I'm like, oh my God, I threw out all that stuff. And I start looking through all the different trashes. They had little trashes on the countertop where you could throw away small like paper things. And then they had the gross food ones. And I was like, I think it was this little trash. I went through all these different trashes throughout the restaurant and I could not find his number. And this is before Facebook was as big. It was kind of big, but I didn't know the guy's last name. I only knew his first name and where approximately he said his barber shop was. And I was like, are you kidding me? I thought, what if this is my husband? We had a great connection. He was cute. I liked him. He liked me. He seemed respectful. He seemed established. He owned his own business. You know, he wasn't like some dreamer. That's the thing when you live in LA, you meet a bunch of dreamers that are like, I'm going to someday put out an album and they never do, which is great. Nothing against that here. I was dreaming for my acting career before then, but it doesn't lend itself doesn't lend itself to stability. It was just like, oh, I crash on my friend's couch and so I don't have to pay rent or I have 17 roommates. And you're just like, okay, that's great when you're in your 20s. But when you want to get married and have kids in your 30s, eh. So couldn't find it. Could not find his number. 
And I'm telling you, I went through all that trash. To this day, no idea what happened to it. And I was like, boy, missed opportunity. Chance unable to be taken. Gone. And I'm just like, wow. I remember I went on the internet and I started looking up barbershops. Gosh, it's all coming back to me now. And I found one that I thought was maybe it, but and I was in that neighborhood because I had a church a church that I went to and I drove up and down the street. I was looking for barbershops and I found one and I was too chicken to go in and go, does a guy named whatever his name was, Mark, you know, own, you know, own this place? Because barbershops are, shops are filled with all men. And I'm like, I can't go in there and just say, is there a guy named Mark here? I could have. I mean, what if he had been there? Or what if he had like, oh yeah, Mark is our owner. I would say, you know what? He left me his card. I, I lost his number. Can I leave this or can I get his card? Whatever. And maybe we could have dated and had a bunch of kids, ma gotten married and then had a bunch of kids. I'm old fashioned and lived happily ever after. But I'll never know. I mean, I got to tell you, I would have preferred to get married at 37, 38 and not at 41 when I actually got married. But I'll never know. And I love my husband, so this is where I am supposed to be. Because like I said, I don't think there are any wrong answers. Maybe I could have loved that guy, and maybe that relationship could have been great too. Or maybe he would have been a dork, or maybe, I mean, dork is okay, but maybe he would have been a terrible person. Maybe he would have been a cheater, a liar. Maybe we wouldn't have dated. we go out on one date and I've been like, uh, mm, no, but I'll never know. And that one I don't look back on too much because I'm happily married, but I do wonder, you know, what if I had been less of a chicken <laughs> and gone into the barbershop? Maybe they, if it wasn't that one, they would have been like, oh, Mark owns the one six blocks down because barber guys always know everything about other barber guys, right? Barbers, I guess they should be calling them barber guys. So I think when it comes to taking chances, it's good to take them. And if you don't, it's all right to look back, but don't live in remorse about it. So many people, like it ruins their lives. They're tortured, you know, they get older. Some people deal with great depression because of it, because they think I didn't do this or that. I once dated a guy who was an alcoholic because he felt like he messed up his marriage. And I mean, he was a, he got married way too young, but he messed up his marriage and he felt like his life would never be the same. And he didn't get over it. To this day, I don't know what happened to him, but he was drunk for at least 15 years of his life because he couldn't deal with something that he had remorse over, that he didn't, he couldn't look back and go, hey, I learned these lessons. It didn't go the way I want, but let me move forward. He was just stuck in the past. And when we stay stuck in the past, we can't have a good present. You know, it's like that 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 saying where people talk about the metaphor where if you spent your time when you're driving, looking in your rearview mirror, you're going to crash. You're not going to see the beauty in front of you. You're not going to really see where you're going. You're not going to be able to take advantage of all of what's in front of you because you're too busy looking behind you. And so that's why I think it's okay to look back and go, gee, I wonder and just kind of think about it and wax poetic, but not with regret and remorse. I wonder what would have happened if I'd given my resume 
to that casting director or if I'd given my resume to J.J. Abrams or asked him for an audition? Sure, absolutely I do. But I have a good life. And maybe this is where I was supposed to be. You know, people always say things, everything happens for a reason. And I always wonder about that. I don't know. You know, if I get hit by a car tomorrow, God forbid, I don't know if there's a reason that that needed to happen, but I think there's a lesson in everything that happens. And maybe that's just semantics on how it's said, but you know, a woman who loses her baby or backs over her child. I saw something on the internet recently about a woman who accidentally backed over her own like three-year-old. How is that something that should have happened? She wasn't drunk. It was just a mistake and he ran out or something. That's horrible. Something like that, I just don't think happened for a reason. Maybe. I mean, if you say like, oh, well, she, she was able to donate the baby's organs and save a child, I guess. But I just think it's important for all of us to definitely be present in the moment and to look forward, to look where we are, to glance backward, but not stay backward. So I also thought of three things where I did take chances that I want to share with you. I took the chances and they paid off in dividends like I didn't expect. And it's funny because there are a lot of those in my lifetime because I'm the type of person, surprise, surprise, I like to talk. Ding, ding, ding. As you can tell, I'm doing it here, right? I, I talk for a living basically in my entire life. The most money I've ever gotten paid is from some version of talking. Waitressing, you know, making the most amount of money was good sales, but talking to people about these expensive steaks and expensive wines and public speaking and motivational speaking and the events that I do for my business and marketing is talking, right? So over my lifetime, I've always been that person that speaks up and, you know, thinks that if things aren't going the way they should be, then somebody needs to tell somebody. Well, one of the examples was, and I'll tell these in no particular order. Um, my favorite example was, again, waitressing. I used to, I l listened to this talk radio station that I absolutely loved back in the day. And it was KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk radio. That's their, that was their tag. And they still say that actually. It's it's the number two market in the country. So Los Angeles, it had a huge reach. And I used to listen to this talk radio station. And when I was working at this one particular restaurant, they were located on like the 10th floor of the restaurant. And I was just like, wow, that's so cool. The radio station I listened to. And one of the, the hosts of one of the shows came in and I wasn't even sure it was him until I saw his credit card. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, yeah, it was. And we were kind of talking about talk radio and stuff. And I kind of made it the conversation topic. And I'm like, yeah, I listen. And and I'm like, oh, so you're whatever his name was. I think, I think his name was Neil. And I said, is there any way that you, I mean, are there internships or anything available where I could work there? I just came right out and asked, asked because I was like, what do I have to lose? I didn't think that the guy was going to be like, how dare you? I'm going to get you fired. That's what I used to think would happen. You know, that's why I didn't speak to J.J. Abrams. But by this point, I was like, I have a rapport with this guy. He seems nice and willing. And he was like, oh, yeah, well, here's my card. Call me and then I'll have to see what's available. 
Long story short, I ended up getting an interview and I got a job. I was looking for an internship and I got a job working as a phone screener and then worked myself up to associate producer for a talk radio show, which was like awesome. I got to see behind the scenes how it actually works and it helps me today with my podcast and to be able to put that on my resume was amazing. And the only reason that happened, at least to get my foot in the door, was because I asked. I put myself out there. I took a chance, right? I took the risk. Now, the rest after that, you have to do the work and, you know, have a good interview and show up. But at least taking that initial risk, it was a little scary. I didn't know it would happen, but I was rewarded. So that was one time that I really, really liked and it paid off because I had so many great experiences and, you know, seeing all the different talk radio hosts that I loved and how it worked and just being in the studio. I got to record some demos myself and it was I had access to amazing equipment and working with other producers. It was great. So that was a great sort of um, payoff for a risk taken. Another one was um, Dickies. If you guys are familiar with Dickies clothing, they do the back in the 90s and 2000s, they did these black kind of work pants. I think they still do them. They have workwear and t-shirts and shirts and stuff. And whenever, I, I mean, a lot of us waitresses wore them because they were solid black pants and they were kind of cute. And whenever I would wear those, they would like chafe and rip or I can't remember what else. There was some other complaint I had. I felt like they were too stiff and um, the, the they were too short and all these things. So I wrote the company and I said, you know, all of us use, us girls use these work pants, but we all complain about the same thing. It's these things. They're too stiff. They wear out, but then the blah, 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 blah. Well, the guy calls me, the guy who did like the Dickies in downtown LA, I don't know if it was which part of the company. And he's like, can you come in and share some of your ideas with me? Because we always are trying to, you know, grow the company and understand our products. And I was like, wow, sure. And I didn't expect that. I just wanted them to know. I go in, I meet with a guy and he offers me a job. And I'm just like, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, we'd love you to sort of, you could work your way up here. You could answer the phones and also help us with our marketing. And I remember I didn't take the job because I, I couldn't do acting and that, but it was really cool to speak up, take a chance and have someone appreciate your thoughts. So it was another opportunity and a chance taken. I went in with this whole like board and I had like pictures and all these things. Like back then I, there was no such thing as PowerPoint, but it was the then version of a PowerPoint presentation. So it was, it was really, it was, it, I, I felt very good about myself that I took a chance and was offered a job. And then the last one was similar. Waitressing, you work with um, these computers, you know, the they're called point of sale computers, POS, and not the other POS. And, you know, that's where we ring up everything. And they would have all of these things programmed about them that didn't really serve the server. It was like people program these computers who never waited a table in their life. And I was like, what? And all of us complain all of us, when you wait tables, you're like, oh, this computer is slow. And why do they put the steaks down here and the side dishes here? And what they need to be able to do, I shouldn't have to click out of this. I should be able to swipe over here and push that. And then that way I could get in and out of the computer faster and all of these things. Everyone would complain. 
And I thought, well, they need to know. And so I wrote them an email and said, here's some things you should know about your computers and this is what's wrong and yada, yada, yada. And again, I just thought they'd be like, great, and maybe fix it or whatever or ignore it. Well, they too called me and said, we'd love to hear your ideas. Please come in and maybe you could help us program these because what we do is we sell the computers, we go to the restaurant and then we program them based on what the managers say and what type of restaurant it is. And so I was offered a job again. And it was another cool experience because I took a chance. And again, I didn't take the job because the money was garbage. Again, when you're waiting tables, it's like I said, really good money. And I remember it was the difference between making $1,000 a week waiting tables or making $450 a week. And I'm like, hmm, I have to drive in different regions. I have to work, you know, eight to 10 hours a day and I make $450. Or I could work five or six hours, four or five days a week and I make $1,000 a week. Hmm, <laughs> you know no-brainer. So, but those were just a couple of experiences that I didn't have to look back and go, what if? Because I took a chance. I wrote the companies hoping to see what would happen and it made me feel good. And I'm glad I took that risk. I don't look back and go, why didn't I take those jobs? I think about that sometimes, but it was just like, nope, I like to make more money. But I think when it comes down to it, we've got to be able to take risks. We've got to be able to take chances, especially in the professional world, because you never know where it's going to take us. You know, even if sometimes we don't get what we would have expected to get or expected to happen, at least we tried. Or when it comes to romantic relationships, same thing. You know, if my husband had said to himself, online dating, oh God, no, because as I've shared before, that's how we met. I had done online dating off and off for 10 years. He was like not thinking about it because he was married. And then when he got a divorce, he still wasn't thinking about it. And then somebody suggested it to him and he was like, online dating? I mean, I guess. And he took a chance and lucky him, of course, he met me. He didn't even have to do it very long. I think he was online for like a couple of weeks and, you know, met a few women. He was like, oh God, no but he didn't get discouraged. He met me and of course the rest is history. If he hadn't taken that chance, who knows? So, you know, it kind of piggybacks on some of the stuff I said in the last episode about romantic relationships, putting yourself out there, taking a chance, you know? I think it's okay to let it be known with a guy, hey, you know, I might be interested and, you know, put yourself out there, but let them pursue. But anything, friendships, you know, I've met women that I was just like, you know what, at business functions, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Would you like to get together for coffee? It's you kind of feel like you're asking them out on a date, which feels awkward, for sure. But I've made great friendships because of that. You know, most women are always like, oh, wow, okay, sort of surprised. And some of them I've, I've done that where they were like a little put off, like, oh, I have enough friends, like you're asking me to like get to know you like they're nice about it but it fizzles and you know they're like too busy oh my gosh I'm so busy I'm so sorry I don't have time to meet for coffee sorry and then you never really hear from them again you try again and they're just like oh so much going on I'm so busy I hate that I'm so busy like you know whatever so it doesn't always work out 
but I have made friendships from taking risks or meeting people in different places where you wouldn't expect, you know, it's not just always a friend of a friend or whatever. So no matter what it is that we do, whether it's work, friendships, romance, new opportunities, I think it's good to take risks. Sometimes, maybe not all the times, but at least sometimes. What are you doing in your life that's taking you out of the comfort zone? What chances are you taking? I can tell you for sure I live a better life because I've taken chances and risks. For sure. I've made more money. I have more friends. And I don't mean more like number wise, but have had the opportunity to meet great people. I have a happy relationship because I took a chance on meeting him. I was scared to death to date a man with kids. But when you're 40, it's like, there's not a lot of opportunity to date guys that don't have kids. And I was like, you know what? Maybe. And here I am today being a stepmom, one of the hardest things I've ever done, but with great risk comes great reward. And now I have these amazing five people who like my heart like bursts with love for them. And I've learned so much about myself, about them, and I'm so grateful that they're in my life. If I had been like, no, I'm not dating him because he's got kids, I might still be single. Or I might have missed the opportunity to meet these five amazing people. I mean, think about that. I have five stepkids. That's not like one or two, five. That's a lot. That's not the norm. And I got lucky because they're really freaking cool people that I enjoyed spending time with. So the thought of the day or the take home, I think, in all of this is to take a risk. What are you going to take a risk on now that COVID is on its way, being done, being over, on its way to being over? Yes, we may have flare-ups, God help us, but hopefully get out there and get your vaccine. There's your public service announcement, get your vaccine. I got mine. First one, I'm fine. Second one is on its way. I'll let you know. But uh, get out there and get that vaccine so that we can all get over this. What chances are you going to take now? What risks? This is a new world. New opportunities are out there for all of us every day. Trying new foods, the smallest thing, exercising in a different way to different decisions made about your job, your relationships, et cetera, your family members. Go out, go ahead, go out, take a risk. I think we should all do that from time to time, even if it's uncomfortable. Because when you take those risks and you are rewarded, even if you don't get exactly what you thought you would get, you get these great experiences, these life experiences that you won't want to change. The risks that I took that didn't work out, I wouldn't change them for anything because I did it. So go take a risk today. If not today, maybe tomorrow, next week, next month, what has been poking at you, bugging you. You know there's something. Take that chance. That's what I think anyway. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh -huh.